0: Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. All right, so Byron said there was going to be a bumper video, and there's not, so I feel like I need to do something like... Crazy to like get everybody's attention or something. How about this? Anxiety. All right, who just got, who got a little bit anxious just hearing the word anxiety, right? It's like when um, someone tells you, you know, whatever you do, don't think about pink flying elephants. And then what's the first thing everybody thinks about? pink flying elephants, right? You're like, well, now that you said it, I can't not think about it. So anxiety, right? We hear the word, and just hearing the word anxiety makes us a little bit anxious. It makes us worry just a little bit. You know, our palms start to get a little bit sweaty. You know, we start to, you know, get that tight feeling in our chest, that aching in our stomach, that restlessness, that jitteriness. You know, anxiety, worry, it, it affects all of us. It affects every one of us in different ways and at different times in our, in our lives. It can rear its ugly head. It can creep up in the most subtle sometimes and then at other times in the most extreme ways, right? Who here has ever heard of the phrase FOMO? Yeah. Fo- oh, Ethan, yeah. <laughs> FOMO, right? So FOMO stands for this. It stands for the fear of missing out. Right? That's what FOMO stands for. It's this anxiety that, that there's something exciting, something interesting, something happening, something going on somewhere else that someone else is getting to experience. Someone else is enjoying it, and I'm, I'm missing out on it. And so I have FOMO. I've got this fear of missing out. Right? It, it perpetuates this fear that we've made the wrong decision about how we've spent our time, right? Because we can imagine like how things could have been different had I done something else. Instead, there's a professor of psychology and behavioral economics at Duke University. His name's Dan Early. He's written a couple of really good books, and he says this. He says that it's a fear of regret that we've made the wrong decision about how we spend our time. Another article describes it as this pervasive apprehension that others might be having a rewarding experience from which I am absent. So it's basically, it's just, it's this form of anxiety that influences our decisions based on not wanting to miss out. So here's how you know, here's how you know if you have FOMO, right? If you check Facebook or Instagram as soon as you wake up in the morning, right? Because there's got to be something exciting, something going on somewhere else. Somebody's having fun somewhere. I got, I got to see what's going on, right? Or maybe you check your phone, you're checking Facebook, you're on social media while you're driving, right? Right? That it's so important that I know what else what's happening out there. I don't, I don't want to miss it, that I'm actually going to put other people at risk while I'm driving because I'm going to check Facebook or I'm going to check Instagram. They've actually done studies on this that show that FOMO can lead to death because of distracted drivers, right? Or maybe it's that you, know, you can't stop checking your email or managing your work even though you're not at work, that you're off right you don't want to miss out of, on what's going on or maybe it's this it's that paralyzing fear to where you can't even make a commitment to do something because you're afraid once you commit to it well that's going to take away the opportunity for you to do this other thing that could possibly come up later that doesn't you don't even know if it exists right so yeah hey do you want to go out to dinner well you know let me think about it which really means let me wait until somebody else calls me and see if we have some better plans that i could go do tonight is anybody ever is anybody guilty of that ever no okay just okay just me Right. I'll, I'll tell you a story about, about FOMO. Right, This is how I've experienced this in the past. Right, So me and Pastor Byron, uh, we met when I was a freshman in high school. He was a, a senior. I was a freshman. And when he graduated, I moved into my sophomore year, and he finished school, and he you know, was driving and everything. And what we would do is he would pretend to be my dad. I'm just being transparent with everybody, right? And he would call the school, and he would get me out of school and say I was sick, that I had a doctor's appointment that I had to go to. What would really happen... Is he would pick me up early because we were going to drive to Houston to go see a concert. But the thing is, we couldn't leave after I got out of school because if we waited that long, we're then going to hit Houston traffic Well, we probably got to stop and get something to eat. And by the time we get there, I mean, the show's going to be started. We're going to have to be standing in the back, you know, and, that, and that we're going to be missing out on all the fun, right? So no, he has to call. I'm, I'm sick. He's going to pick me up from school. We're going to leave at 12 o'clock and then we're going to go to Houston so that we can get front row. We're going to be on the, you know, on the fence at the concert. You know, and in retrospect, looking back, we realize like there's like 70 people at these shows. Like we could have shown up like an hour after it started, and everything would have been fine, right? But we had FOMO. Like we were worried if we didn't get there early, if we didn't get there on time, then we were going to be missing out. But all this is, you know, this FOMO. I know it, it can be kind of funny, but it's anxiety, right? That's all this is. It's an anxiety that we experience, and it causes us ultimately, just like all other forms of worry, all other forms of anxiety, to be distracted. Right? When we're worried about what else is going on, we can't be present, we can't experience what's happening now, because we're worried about what might be happening somewhere else. Our mind is distracted, our attention uh, is, is divided, we can't make a commitment. These are just forms of anxiety, because you're always thinking about what could be, you can't enjoy the moment that you're in right now. Right? This, is, this is what anxiety does to us, this is what worry does to us, it. it makes us distracted, and like I said, it's not, it's not just FOMO. It's, it, this is all forms of anxiety are, are distractions. That means whatever experiences we could be having now are being stolen from you by your worry. Your anxiety is stealing from you. It's robbing you uh, of what you could be experiencing right, right now. So imagine like this. Imagine being at a birthday party, right? It could be a friend's birthday party. It could be, you know, a, 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 someone's children. You know, you got a friend's, one of their kids' birthday parties, and so there you are, and instead of being in the moment, you're on Facebook, you're checking emails. My personal favorite, you're, on, you're scrolling through Amazon, right? FOMO, like I need FOMO, these things, whatever it is. Like I just got to get it off of Amazon, right? Or, or maybe you're anxious about a test you have coming up. You're like, all right, I got this big exam. It's going to be tomorrow. You know, I didn't really prepare or study the way that I, that I should have. And so now I'm, I'm going through the mental Rolodex of index cards, right? Like, okay, you know, I got I to gotta try to figure out what these answers are to this, this tester. Or maybe it's this. Maybe you're not able to get a birthday present because this month you're having to choose between a birthday present for your friend's kid or you're having to choose groceries. Maybe you didn't get a present for the party because you're having to decide, am I going to keep the lights on or am I going to pay rent? Right? And you're thinking, well, you know, what, what, what does everybody here think of me? Like I'm the one person that didn't show up with a gift to the party. Do, you know, do people think that I'm poor? Do people think that I'm not a good friend? Right? Anxiety. Worry starts to creep in. And before you know, you, you start thinking, well, if I don't pay rent, am I going to get evicted? You know, if I don't get groceries, am I going to have breakfast for the kids? You know, maybe, maybe I'll have enough money for breakfast, but it's just going to be like off-brand Pop-Tarts, right? And, and we know that those are like full of sugar. And then, you know, there's a history of diabetes in my family. And, you know, my great aunt, she died from diabetes. And, you know, I think one of the symptoms of diabetes is getting lightheaded. And I'm starting to feel lightheaded. And I, and I think I might just, I, I, am I dying right now? Happy birthday to... It's like, whoa. Like, where have I just been in the last five minutes, right? You're distracted. That's what anxiety does. It robs you from these opportunities to experience what's happening right now. It distracts you, divides your attention, paralyzes you. But it's not just birthday parties. It's not you know, just FOMO. It's all the what-ifs and I wish I knew how. All the what-ifs and I wish I knew how. You know, what if this happens? What if I don't get my paycheck this month? What if, you know, What if my marriage doesn't get any better? What if that sickness and illness doesn't go away. What if? You know? I wish I knew how I was going to take care of this situation. I wish I knew how to talk to my spouse. I wish I knew how to better take care of my kids. I wish I knew how. All the what ifs, all the I wish I knew, the, these worries and the, these anxieties, they distract us, but ultimately here's what they do. They distract us from obedience to God. At their worst They distract us from our obedience to God. They steal our joy. They make us self-centered. They take our peace. They distract us from Christ, and they distract us from the goodness of the gospel. And so what we're going to look at this morning, we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 4, and Paul is going to give us three commands, three imperatives today, and I want to show you how the way that we handle our anxiety, the way that we handle our worry is going to determine whether or not we can be obedient to these commands that Paul has for us. And what I want you to see is we look at this text like we're not we're not just looking at commands necessarily. Now, technically they are commands, like these are imperatives, these are things that Paul is telling us we have to do. These are commands from Paul, which means ultimately they are commands from God. But really what they are is they're simply attributes or characteristics that should really mark the life of every single Christian. Right? Yes, these are commands. Yes, Paul is telling us we need to do this, but what he's really doing is just describing what every Christian life ought to look like, almost like a reminder, like, hey, don't forget this is how you're supposed to be. This is what is supposed to characterize and mark your life. And as a matter of fact, you know, if you look in Galatians, you go to Galatians chapter five, you see what these really are, are fruits of the Spirit, Right, That Paul says in Galatians that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And Paul's going to describe these fruits of the Spirit in this passage. But here's what happens when we're worried and when we're anxious and when we're always thinking about the what-ifs. We're distracted, right? We're distracted and, and we're unable to keep in step with the Spirit. So I know we've all seen those videos, right? The people walking through the mall and they're distracted. They're texting. And then the next thing you know, they trip and they're like in the fountain or whatever. Like that's you trying to keep up with the Spirit when, you're, when you have anxiety, or like that's you when you're when you're worried trying to follow after the Lord. You're distracted and you're tripping and stumbling and falling all over the place because you can't see what's right in front of you. You can't see what's happening right now. And so I know also for some of us that when we talk about anxiety, like this is a very serious and sensitive topic for some of us. Right? This isn't an easy topic. This isn't an easy conversation to have or an easy message to listen to. And I'm very aware of that. And so as we get into this, I want to discuss it with care. And I want to talk about it with compassion. Because as we move into this text, we're going we're gonna to hit some difficult conversations and topics. Right? We're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about what it looks like to have real anxiety disorders. Right? And we can't avoid it. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a moment when we get there in the text. But this, what Paul is telling us here doesn't allow us to pass over that. He doesn't allow us to skip it. We have to engage in the conversation and we have to talk about it. And so anxiety, like I was dealing with anxiety leading up to this sermon on anxiety, right? Like that's how anxiety works. So let's read the passage together and then we'll walk through it. And as we're doing this, just be praying. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's Philippians chapter (laughs) 4, verses 4 through 7. So there's our three commands that we're looking at this morning, right? And there's actually, so there's three commands, and there's actually a prohibition. So there's three commands and a prohibition. He says this, number one, rejoice always. That we should always be rejoicing in any and every circumstance. He says to be gentle or reasonable towards everyone. The way that we, our disposition, the way we carry ourselves toward others. What we're, what we're known for as, as Christians. He says, do not be anxious. There's our prohibition. And then lastly, he commands us to make requests to God with thanksgiving. And as you read this passage there's really there's kind of a circularity about it if that makes sense right? So it says, you know, maybe if you start in in verse 6 and you kind of work your way back you know it says do not be anxious, right? So if you're if you're anxious and you're worried then it seems like you would probably have a hard time rejoicing, right? Like, you're anxious, you're worried, you're distracted, so you can't really rejoice. And if you're having a hard time to rejoice, then, well, that means it's going to be probably unlikely that you're going to be gentle towards others. Like, if you have no happiness, no joy in your life, that's that's probably going to impact your relationship with other people, right? And so if you're anxious and and, and you're worried, you don't have any joy, your your relationships with other people are not going well, that's probably going to lead to what? A little bit of anxiety, right? And then when you're anxious, what do you have a difficult time doing when you're anxious, when it comes to your spiritual disciplines? Do you feel like it's easier to read your Bible when you're full of worry and anxiety? A lot of times it's harder, right? Or what about going to the Lord in prayer when you're anxious and worried? No, just like Bo just explained a minute ago for him, right? It's difficult. You can barely get any words out sometimes, right? And so it all just continues to cycle and cycle and cycle. Because you're anxious, you don't pray. Because you don't pray, you don't have joy. Because you don't have joy, you don't have a good relationship with other people. And so then you get anxious and because... And it just goes and goes, and it cycles and cycles. But think about it like this. What if, what if you're not worried about anything? What if you're not worried about anything, but instead of worrying, instead of having anxiety, but rather you have God's peace? And what happens when you, got, when you have God's peace? If you have God's peace, then, hey, there's always something to rejoice about, amen? amen? And if you're always rejoicing, if you've got joy in your life, if you've got happiness in your life, then what do your relationships with other people generally look like? Like that overflows, right? That joy overflows into the life uh, of people around you into the relationships with others that you have. And if those are going well, if you've got joy, you've got kindness, you've got happiness, you've got gentleness, then you're probably going to be a lot, a lot less likely to be anxious, right? You're probably going to be living in the moment. You're going to be enjoying what's happening right now. You're not going to have any FOMO, right? And so you can kind of see where I'm going, but everything here really hinges on whether or not we deal with our anxiety correctly. Yes. Right? If we handle this the wrong way, then we start one of these vicious cycles, Right? But if we handle it correctly, then we start the other cycle, All right? So everything that we're going to talk about this morning, it's really going to hinge and turn on how we deal with our anxiety. And you know, my message this morning was—it's called a prescription for peace, right? So if you don't know, I work for Walgreens. If you're angry with us right now, I'm sorry, right? If you go, if you go to CVS, then you know we can talk later. But I work for Walgreens, right? And so my role there—I manage the entire the whole footprint of the store, right? So that includes the pharmacy and the front-end side of the store. So I manage all of our pharmacy and, and, and retail wow. operations. And we fill a lot of prescriptions every day. You know, some of our locations fill 1,000, 1,100 prescriptions every single day. And if you didn't know this, roughly 10% of all the prescriptions that we fill are for anxiety and depression. 10%. And that's nationwide, across all prescriptions filled in the United States, right? And again, we're going we're gonna to talk about this in a moment in more detail, but That's the state of where we are now. And so a prescription for peace is this. I want you to know that God has a prescription for peace as well. That God has a remedy for our pain, a remedy for our anxiety and for our worry. And that prescription for peace, as we'll see in a minute, is prayer. So let's get into the text and and work our way to that. So verse 4 says this. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So here's Paul's first command. He says rejoice in the Lord always always and it's almost like you're reading this verse and and as soon as you start like you get anxiety right like like paul's telling you to rejoice always in every circumstance in all situations and you're like paul you know I, i don't have a problem rejoicing like sometimes you know or maybe even most of the time i can rejoice but always is that even possible like this is making me anxious thinking about how i'm always supposed to be rejoicing and Paul's anticipating some inje- ob- objections, it seems like here, right? Like he tells them, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's like, he, there's, it's like there's a pause here, and he's waiting for you to respond. He's waiting for you to, to say something in response to this command. He's waiting for you to say, you know, but, but Paul, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. Like, haven't, like, do you know what's going on at work right now? Like, do you know how many hours I've put in this week? Like, do you know the, the workload that's on my, my plate this week, and you're telling me don't be anxious and to rejoice always and everything like don't you like don't you realize that the the flu is like rampant in my household right now like i'm sick my wife's sick my kid's sick like everybody's everybody's sick in my home like like, don't you know that don't you know that like i'm not sure how i'm gonna pay rent this month paul and you're telling me to rejoice don't you realize that my like my marriage is in trouble right now like things are not good in, in our home and you want me to to rejoice don't you realize that like earlier this month my grandfather died like don't you know that don't you know that last week that my, my uncle died from complications from the flu and, and that just yesterday I had to perform the, I had to be the efficient for his funeral and he, he was 50 years old. Like, Paul, don't you, like, don't you know that? And you're, and you're telling me to rejoice? And he says, yeah, I'll say it again. He says, rejoice. Again, I will say rejoice. He doubles down. He doubles down on this command to rejoice in all things. And you have to remember Paul's circumstance, right? So if you go back and you read the beginning of Philippians, you'll see that Paul is actually writing this letter from prison. He's writing this letter from prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live. He doesn't know if he's going to die. But yet, as you read through this letter, many people will call this a letter of joy or of rejoicing. Like, that's the big theme of this passage 16 occasions whether Paul's mentioning his own or the Philippian church's joy he talks about thanksgiving and joy it's a letter marked by joy and here's the thing the reason that Paul can do this the reason he can be so thankful he can be so you know not concerned about his circumstances because this his rejoicing is not in his circumstance but his rejoicing is in the Lord Amen. right look at what Paul says there he doesn't say rejoice Again, I will say rejoice. No, he says something very specific. He says rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. You see, when our rejoicing is in the Lord and not in our circumstance, we will always have joy. One commentator puts it this way. He says, it depends not on changing circumstances, but on the one who doesn't change. Right? Like that's where our, that's where our joy comes from. You know, you can go back to the Old Testament and you can read the story of the prophet Habakkuk. He's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And you see Habakkuk is arguing and wrestling with God because God seems distant. He doesn't seem like he's around. And they're under this threat of attack from, from Babylon. The nation of Judah is you know, worried about this invasion. And, God just, and there's all this rampant sin and everything going on in the nation of Judah. And, and Habakkuk is crying out. He's saying, God, where are you? Like, you're not here. Are you going to do anything with, with this nation, with these people, with their sin and with their, with their rebellion? And his answer is that, yeah, I'm going to send another country to come in and destroy you. Like, yeah, I'm going to deal with it. And this is Habakkuk's response. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Right? In the worst of circumstances, when we don't know what's going to happen, when we feel like God is distant, when we feel like we don't know what he's up to, when we don't know what he's doing, our state of being as Christians should be to always rejoice. To always be rejoicing and in any and every circumstance rejoice. And here's what happens with anxiety is anxiety causes us to take our circumstance and create a future that does not exist, right? We take whatever we're dealing with now and we create a future that doesn't exist. Max Lucado and he has a book called Anxious for Nothing and he calls this the what if kind of anxiety that I mentioned earlier, like what if this happens tomorrow and when you're worried about the future, you can't rejoice in the Lord in the present. Right here, you are all of your time, all of your. You're distracted about what's going to be happening in the future that could not even be a reality at all, and and yet it's taking up all of your time, all of your energy, and so you can't be present to rejoice now in the Lord because you're worried about the future. Right, that's what anxiety does. It it robs you, it robs you of your joy, it robs you of the moment. But Paul continues, and we'll see what happens when you do rejoice. When you're able to rejoice, he says this, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This is verse 5. So he moves from from rejoicing to always being gentle, always being reasonable toward everyone. And it's almost like he's like building up our anxiety before he tells us do not be anxious. Like He's just going to keep laying more on us, and then he's going to tell us to not be anxious right after, right? But now he's saying, you know, I don't, I don't only need to rejoice now, but I also need to be reasonable. Like, you can ask my wife. Like, I'm not the most reasonable person, okay? So this is, this is a lot for me, Paul, that you're asking. And some of your translations, they might use different words here, right? Like, some of them could use gentleness. Some of them might use uh, be considerate to others. Some of it could be be gentle towards others. It could say have a uh, let your graciousness be known. It could be, you know, have a, a forbearing spirit toward others. But the idea, no matter what your translation might say, it's, it's, really, it's all the same, and it's basically saying that when you have peace, when, you, when you're peaceful, when you have joy, and when you have contentment, then you're able to serve others authentically because you're not self-centered. You're not, you're not looking inward. You're not thinking about yourself and thinking about your own needs, and this is actually a concern in the Philippian church. Like this is something that the church in Philippi is dealing with. They're struggling with this idea of, of unity. And if you notice, just a few verses before this one, Paul is going to write to them to encourage two women in the church who need to put away their differences and become united. He encourages them, he says, to agree in the Lord. Right? So they're dealing and they're struggling with this, with this unity. And this is how Paul says it in chapter 2. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, there's that word joy again, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting others more significant than yourselves, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what it looks like to be gentle toward others, to be reasonable towards others, to be patient towards others. Others. It's to count their needs more important than your own needs. And you can do that when you have joy. You can do that when you have peace, when you have contentment, because it's not about you. But when you have anxiety and worry, it robs you from that. It forces you to look inside. It forces you to be focused about you know on your own needs and to yourself. And Paul says that when you do that, you're actually not imitating Christ. He says you're actually not being Christ-like when that's the attitude that you have. That's what he says at the end of that verse. He says, put on the mind of Christ who took the form of a servant and humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? Like That's the mind of Christ, that you would humble yourself and put yourself lower than those around you and serve them. And as Christians, you should know better than anyone, like we should know better than anyone, that it's not about us. Right? Like That's basically what Christianity is. Like, hey, this is not about you at all, but it's all about who Jesus is. Right? We should be the ones who know this better than anyone. You know, and later, Paul, he's going to mention this again when he talks about contentment. He's going to say, You know, whether I'm brought low or I'm abounding, whether I have plenty or I'm hungry, whether I have abundance or I'm in need, I can do all things what? Through Christ who strengthens me. Right? There's probably like seven people with that tattooed on them in here right now. Where's Bo? Yeah, y'all all have to ask Bo about his uh, Philippians tattoo. <laughs> but this is the attitude that we should strive to serve from. We should strive to serve from the attitude that Christ had. And this is actually why we have a core value at our church here at redemption. If you weren't aware, if you haven't been through our next steps yet where we talk about our core values, but we have a core value here called authentic community, right? Like this is part of our identity and our DNA, who we are as a church. And part of our understanding of that value comes from this passage. And this is the big idea that you can only serve others authentically when you expect nothing from them in return. That is authentic service. That is what authentic community looks like. Like if you always expect something from other people, that means you're not content. That means you don't have contentment. There's always going to be some hidden agenda behind your service. You're always going to be trying to get something in return. It causes you to be deceptive and untrustworthy. And those are the opposite of what authenticity is. Deceptiveness and untrustworthiness, and they're the opposite of putting on the mind of Christ. Yeah, that's good. And one thing, something very important that I really want to encourage everybody just as we go through this and as we talk about anxiety, authentic community is going to be one of the most helpful and beneficial parts of your walk as a Christian when it comes to battling fear and worry and depression and anxiety. Your anxiety is going to tell you to stay home, it's going to tell you not today, don't get out of bed. It's going to tell you, you don't need to be around other people. You know, what are they going to say? What do they think? What if? Right? That's what anxiety is going to tell you. But one of the most important things that you can do is to go to church and worship with God's people. Those are one of the most, two of the most important things that you can do, because who are you going to meet when you're here? Like you're going to meet your friends, your family, the people who care about you the most, right? But you're going to meet somebody else and his name is Jesus, right? He's going to be here every Sunday, right? Without fail. Right? You're going to get to encounter the Lord through worship. Right? Never mind the fact that Hebrews commands us to be here, to not forsake gathering together with, with the church. But we need to participate the best you can. And sometimes that doesn't look like a lot. Right? Sometimes it means that you sneak in at like 9.37. That's okay. Sometimes it means that maybe you sneak out a few minutes early. You know what? That's okay too. But you need to be here. You need to be present. You need to be engaged with the body in, in worship. There's a lot of things that you cannot do, but this is something that you can't neglect. You can't neglect being around the church, around the people who care for you. So at the end of that verse, the end of verse five, he says this. He says, the Lord is at hand. He says, let your reasonableness be known to all people. The Lord is at hand. So what is, what is Paul saying here? Your, your translation actually might look kind of odd. Like if you look at the passage, right, you'll see that verse five kind of ends. There's a period. And then it's like it starts a new sentence, in a semicolon, and then you jump to verse six. Is that what Charles Bible kind of looks like? Like it's kind of strange, right? So what is Paul doing here when he says, Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known, the Lord is at hand? Well, you gotta remember like our, our original manuscripts, right? Like there's no like like our grammar is not the same. Like we don't have like the same grammatical functions, you know, in the Bible as we do today with periods and commas and exclamation points. You know, the structure is a lot different, the construction is different in our in our Bibles. So what Paul's trying to communicate here when he says this, the Lord is at hand, it's kind of like a double meaning, right? Like there's, the, the phrase really carries two meanings. So he's doing two things. One, you can take this, this section, this, this phrase, and you can attach it to the previous verse. And so you can say it kind of like this, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known among all people because the Lord is at hand, right? And it's almost this sense of timeliness, like, hey, the Lord's, like, maybe the Lord is coming soon, or you don't know when the Lord's return is going to be, right? There's a, there's a parable in Luke chapter 19 about the 10 minus or the 10 coins, right? And so it says that there's a, a nobleman, there's this master who goes to a, a far country, and he's going to go receive this kingdom, and he's going to come back, right? Obviously, this is a picture of Jesus going to heaven. He's going to come back for his bride. He's going to come back for the church. And he calls some of his servants, and he gives them these 10 minus or these coins, and he says, engage in business until I come. They basically saying like, hey, here's an investment. I'm giving you this, this money, these coins to invest. Stay busy, invest them wisely, do well with it, and I'm going to come back. And so the man leaves, the nobleman woman leaves, and when he returns, he goes to his servants to see what they basically did with their investment while he was gone. You know, some of them had invested and they saw a big return. <clears throat> some of them were faithful. But then there was one of them that says that he hid his coin in a handkerchief and he didn't invest it. And he killed him. Like He slaughtered him. He says, bring them all here so that I can slaughter them in front of me. Like he wanted to see it happen. Um, And so he he kills them, right? And so look, Paul's saying to you that the Lord is at hand and he is going to, no, that's not what he's saying. (laughs) But Paul's saying that the Lord is at hand and you don't know when your master's gonna return. So be diligent, right? Like, Like the Lord has given you fruit of the spirit. He's given, you, he's given you all of these gifts of the spirit, all of these ways that you can serve and engage in the life of the church and serve the body, the way that you can serve and care for other people and those around you. And so he's telling the Philippian church, like, look, you don't know when Jesus is coming back, so this is what you need to be doing. You need to be doing the work that God gave you to do, because you don't know when he's going to return, and you don't want him to come back and find that you haven't been busy. You don't want him to return and find that you've, that you haven't invested what he gave you wisely, right? That you were foolish with what he gave you, Luke chapter 12 says it this, this way in verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Right? Stay ready. We don't know when the Lord's return is going to be. But he also uses this phrase to connect to verse six about anxiety. So he's kind of setting, setting the stage for this next command to not be anxious by saying that the Lord is at hand. So verse six says this, it says, do not be anxious. Now I'm more anxious, Paul, thank you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So you can read it like this, the Lord is near, so don't be anxious about anything. Right, that the Lord is here, the Lord is at hand, Christ is near you, so there's no reason for you to be anxious. Psalms 145 says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires for those who fear him. He also hears their cries and he saves them. Like the Lord is, is near. He's as present as the breath you breathe. So what could you possibly be anxious about? Right? And I thought there were so many things that went into this, this morning that were just so um, typical of how God works, right? That we're going to sing this song about peace, about casting our worries and anxieties on the Lord when that wasn't uh, a prepared part of this morning's service. Wow. Right? Like God's, God is kind of interesting the way he works in his providence like that. Right? So he's present, and, and as we were praying in the back, you know, they were talking about how they came in this morning, and they just felt like there was a peace about the church, like an, almost an odd peace with everyone this morning. Almost like God knew, like, hey, this is going to be a tough message. We're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about worry. So you know what? I'm going to go ahead and just kind of prepare this place for you. Right? And so some of you need to know that this morning. like, You need to know that God is near. Like, You need to know that, that, he's, that he's with you. Right? And some of us, like, we know this, right? Because we're Christians, like, we know, yeah, God's near. We know. Like. But you forgot. And you forget often. And you need to be reminded this morning that Jesus is near to you, that Christ is near, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that He is present. That He's present, that He is working, that He is doing something right now. And you may not see it, right? You may be like Habakkuk on the mountain, and you're arguing with God and you're crying out, saying, God, are you going to do anything? And He is. He's he's gonna do something because he's with you. But some of us were so distracted by our anxiety, we're so weighed down and burdened by the worry that we carry that we don't recognize that Jesus is so near to us. You know, I was driving this morning, I'm sure some of y'all experienced this as well, like the fog outside on the way to church this morning, right? Like that's what anxiety is like. It's like you're driving through the fog and there's stop signs coming up you don't see and there's red lights coming up that you don't see and there's a curb that you just went over that you didn't see and there's that guy flying past you because they got FOMO on Facebook right and they're not they're like a fog what fog like I'm not I haven't looked up in five minutes right but that's what anxiety is like It, it blinds us it distracts us it keeps us from recognizing and realizing like hey I'm here I'm right next to you and then what happens when when the sun comes out all the fog goes away, right? Like what a picture of how it is for us when we walk through life with this anxiety, through this fog, through this cloudiness, and then Jesus shows us that he's near, that he's close, and it just all goes away, right? But this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's Matthew six twenty five. So there's obviously like there's an abundance of things that we can worry about and be anxious about, right? Like there's the basic necessities, like we talk about food and, and shelter, and we talk about, about clothing. You know, and, and certainly like we can we can worry and, and be anxious about these things, right? Now, generally speaking, we're not gonna worry about these things in the same way that the culture that Jesus was speaking to worried about them. Like when he says, like, don't worry about what your food is gonna come from like they weren't going to like HEB online pickup. You know what I'm saying? Like they're like, there is no food for them. Right. When they were talking about not having shelter or clothes, they didn't know if they were going to have a roof over their head the next day or anything to wear. Right. Now that's not to say that we don't experience this. You know, we, we experience this, these same struggles and anxieties of, you know, making it paycheck to paycheck, you know, choosing between rent or utility bills. Am I going to buy groceries this week or not? You know, am I going to be able to afford school clothes for the new school year? Or maybe I'm going to have to try to find some hand-me-downs to a friend or a family member because I just don't know, right? Like we have these worries and anxieties as well. But, but Paul goes further here. This is where Paul, he, he's, he's kind of he's prodding, right? He's poking here because he says that it's not just about that. Like it's not just about these material things. It's not just about food. It's not just about shelter. It's not just about clothing. He says rather that we shouldn't be anxious about anything at all. Some of us hear that and that's where the anxiety is like, okay. Right? Like nothing. He says there's nothing in your life, nothing that has ever happened in your life that should cause you to worry and have anxiety. He leaves no exceptions. Right? This is this is kind of a difficult word here. But look at look for just a moment, like look at the words that Paul's using when he gives us all of these commands. He says, Rejoice always, be gentle to everyone. And the difficult part here be anxious about nothing, right? Like under no circumstance should you, circumstance should you be anxious or, or worry. Always, everyone, anything. And in a moment about prayer, he says everything, right? Like he uses like the most all-encompassing words that he could use when it comes to these commands. Always, everyone, anything, and everything. He's not really giving us a loophole to like avoid the tough conversation, right? And so in my introduction, You know, I mentioned that this topic is, is controversial. It can be you know, very sensitive to some people. And so my, my heart is to discuss it carefully and to do it compassionately. But we have to talk about it because he says anything. Don't be anxious about anything at all. So we're going to talk about it. I hope that's okay. Yeah. So here's something that we need to know that we need to recognize, that anxiety disorders are the most prevalent mental illness in the world today. More than any other mental or substance abuse issue that they affect 275 million people across the globe it's four percent of our population and in america 40 million americans over the age of 18 will be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder so it's four percent of the population in the world in america that's almost 20 percent of adults of people over the age of 18 one in four children between the ages of 13 and 18 will suffer from an anxiety disorder. 24 children. That means it's very likely that there are people in this room and children in our kids' ministry right now who are suffering from anxiety disorders. That's an epidemic, right? That's an alarming number of, of people. And there's people here at Redemption, like I just mentioned, like, like currently, right now, like you're wrestling With this severe anxiety some of you you maybe you've wrestled with it in the past like you suffer from a clinically diagnosed anxiety disorder and maybe some of you don't but at some points in in our lives in the past or maybe right now or for sure in the future maybe for moments or even long seasons you've suffered through anxiety and through worry like it touches everyone in every circumstance in every stage of life everywhere in the world like it's inevitable. That's why Jesus mentions it and he touches it so heavily in the Sermon on the Mount that three separate occasions in that passage, he's going to tell them, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Right? Because he knows that we're going to worry. Right? He knows after he said it the first time, it made us worry, so he had to tell us two more times, right? Martin Lloyd-Jones says that there's the most common attribute amongst men is to have an abundance of worry, right? Like it's something that we know more keenly than any other feeling or, or emotion. And there's others of you here who maybe, you know, somehow miraculously, like you've managed to avoid anxiety in your life until this morning when I brought it up. And then, so I apologize for that. But like I said earlier, you know, I work in a pharmacy and we fill Hundreds of prescriptions at just our location every single week for anxiety and for depression. And so that's why I said that there's, there's another prescription as well for anxiety. There's another prescription for worry. There's another prescription to say it in a positive way for peace that God is going to give us. But I also want to say this. I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm, what I'm saying, right? I don't want anybody to misunderstand and think that I'm saying that there is not a place for actual prescriptions or medication when it comes to anxiety, Right, just that alone causes some people anxiety. The fact that I'm on medication, that I'm having to take, you know, this particular prescription to help with it, like that causes you anxiety. Like what if people knew? What if people found out? What if people knew that like that I suffer with this or that I'd struggle with this? Like just that in itself causes you anxiety. And so you need to know that there's there's not anything inherently wrong with you seeing a mental health professional and getting help. Like you need to know that this morning. Like even as, even as you look through the scriptures, as you look through the Bible, very often you'll see that God actually uses the means on earth for, for healing and, and help in the, in the Bible. Like we see the example of Paul and Timothy, when Timothy has a stomach ache and he says, hey, drink a, little bit of, uh, drink a little wine, that'll help your stomach ailment, right? Now, could he have said, hey, pray and have God just heal you from that miraculously? Absolutely. And can God do that? 100%. But no, he says, hey, this is the word of the Lord, drink a little bit of wine for your stomach, it'll help. Right. So there's precedent in the scriptures for God's common grace when it comes when it comes to healing. But here's what I am saying. There's a a clinical professional, he's a psychiatrist from Tulane University, very smart guy named Michael Lundy. He actually co-wrote a book that I want to share with you all at the end. That's a very helpful resource that I want to give to you. But as I was reading through it, he, he says this, and I thought this was very interesting. He says that right now that there is an unhelpful and often unwarranted segregation of body and soul, medical and pastoral, theological and psychological that permeates much of the mental health field. So in other words what he's saying is this that far too often the treatments that we receive from professionals does not consider the whole person. Right? They don't consider that you're not just a physical body. They don't consider that God's word has something to say about this. They don't consider that perhaps your pastor has some counseling, right? Or a Christian counselor that has something to say about this they don't consider those things and they separate and segregate these different components of who we really are as people so there's nothing wrong with with seeing these people at all if you need to then then do that Uh, but you need to also know that God's word speaks to this right that God's word also speaks to this it has something to say about the matter and, you know, we, we've talked about some of these, these symptoms of anxiousness, right, that it distracts you, that it, that it divides your attention, that it can paralyze you, that it steals your joy, that it keeps you from being able to serve others authentically. But here's in its worst form what it can do. In its worst form, it leads to the sinfulness of despair and robs you of peace. Right? Like, we can talk, like, we can, we can like, joke about FOMO, right, like, because it is kind of funny. But the other side, the extreme side, is despair. Despairing. Right? This is where anxiety can lead. And this is why God doesn't want you to be anxious, because at, at the very worst, it separates you from him. It separates you from him. That's why he tells you don't be anxious about anything, not because this is an angry father yelling at you, commanding you do not be anxious, but he's saying, I know what's best for you, and it's not anxiety. I know what's best for you, and it's not for you to be worrying, right? So we need to hear this not as someone, you know, as, as coming from an angry father, but as a, as a loving father, because this lack of, of joy, this inability to serve others, this, this being devoid of peace, what these are really are are symptoms of a much deeper problem. They're, they're symptoms of a deeper sin in our life of despair. And he says it this, this is how Michael Lundy says about despair. He says, despair is, in a sense, the ultimate form of unbelief. And it is the sin behind many other sins including the sin of presumption, which says that it cannot get any worse than this, when in fact it can and almost certainly will get worse if we act on that presumption. Despair denies God's greatness, it denies his goodness, and it sets at naught so many promises of Scripture to make counting them near to impossible. That's what anxiety does. That's what happens when anxiety robs you of peace. It can lead you to despair. That's, that's the opposite of peace, is despair. And so Paul's going to say that to avoid this, to not have anxiousness, he says the remedy here for anxiety is prayer. And you know, throughout the year as Byron is out, we're going to be teaching on some different spiritual disciplines actually. We're going to cover you know, prayer, we're going to cover Bible reading, and we're going to talk about some different things this morning. Obviously we're going to talk about prayer for just a moment. Uh, So my question for you would be this. If you deal with anxiety, and not just a clinically diagnosed anxiety, any anxiety at all, any kind of worry at all, my question is this, is prayer a part, a part of your treatment? So I'm, I'm speaking to everybody here. Is prayer a part of your treatment? So I want to give you three ways that Paul talks about pr- how prayer can lead to peace. His prescription, right? This is, this is the three things that you need to do through prayer to receive peace. That's what he says. He says, number one, you need to worship. Number one, you need to worship. He says, do not be anxious in anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your requests known. So everything by prayer. What is prayer? Right In this context, he's saying just go to God before him with worship and adoration. That's how this starts. You go to God, and it's so interesting how this happened this morning again And when Bo was talking because he kind of beat me to the punch here. You need to fall on your knees before God. You need just to go before him in worship for who he is, not for anything he's done, but just because of his character and because of who he is as God, that you go before him in worship. That's what it means to go before him in prayer. And then he says in supplication, that's not a word we use very often, right? Some translations could say, you know, petition maybe. But the idea in this context when he says supplication is this idea of humility. This is putting yourself in a position to where you say, God, like, I don't know what's best. I don't know how to handle this. You know my situation. You know what's going on. You know what's wrong. And there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm just laying it at your feet. I'm just putting it on you. I'm casting my worries upon you because I can't handle this. I don't know what to do about it, but you do, right? So I'm going to worship you and I'm going to come before you with my real problems. Like I'm going to let you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm a wreck. I don't know how to handle this. And then he says to do it with Thanksgiving, to come before him with prayer, supplication and Thanksgiving that you thank him. Notice where the requests are as well. Like we're not even there yet. We're not to the requests you go down with thanksgiving for his goodness, for his mercy, for his provision, for caring for you, for saving you, for giving you his Holy Spirit, for giving you gifts, for all the times that he has been there for you, all the times that he will be there for you in the future, for being with you now, and he says after all that, then you let your requests be made known, right? So he's saying if you want to experience peace, if you want to experience you know, overcoming your anxiety, And this is how you do it. You worship. You go through supplication. You know, 1 Peter 5, 7 says that, you know, we cast our anxieties upon the Lord. He tells us, you know, cast your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. And we use 5, 7, but we actually don't consider the whole context of chapter 5, right? Which actually says a lot about humility to humble ourselves before the Lord, right? That's that supplication process where we humble ourselves. And then you make your requests. And there's something interesting here too is that we don't hear anything about that request being met before we hear about getting peace. Isn't that interesting? Like he doesn't say, let your you know, request be made known to the Lord, and then once he responds and answers your request, then you know, you'll get God's peace. And he says, no, just the act of coming to me in prayer, the act of coming to me in humility, the act of coming to me with thanksgiving, like that in, in itself is going to begin to give you peace. Whether you get that request or not, because I'm going to be honest, sometimes like we're not going to get delivered from some of these things. We're gonna continue to walk through some suffering and we're gonna walk through some some trials, right? But we don't have to be delivered from those things to have peace. And and we need to know that. Like we can still have peace in spite of the things that we're walking through. And you know, Bo mentioned it earlier too, and so I'll say it again, you know, sometimes for us prayer, like it's it's almost impossible when we're walking through these kind of situations. You know, we, we, we can barely get the words out. And so I know when I'm saying hey, you need to pray and you'll have peace. Some of you are like, I can't pray. Like, I can't open my Bible. I can't read my Bible. I can't even think about some of these things because it just causes me more anxiety. Like, I know that that is a reality for some of us. So I want you to hear what Richard Baxter says. He's a, he was actually a psychiatrist as well in the 17th century, but he was also a, a theologian. And he says this, that if a man has a broken leg, he must not walk on it until it is set or the whole body will suffer. It is your thinking faculty or your imagination that is the broken and hurting part. Therefore, you must not use it to reflect upon the things that trouble you so much. So basically what he's, he's saying is this. You know what? If you can't go to the Lord in prayer right now, that's okay. That's okay. Like that, 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 may ha- that may be how it is for this moment. But this is what he follows up with it and says, you cannot stay that way. He says you can't stay that way. Right? This is this looks like you know you walk around and you have your cast on and it should have been removed a long time ago and you should have already moved on to a splint, right? But you're still wearing the cast. Right? So maybe in this moment you can't pray, and maybe the only thing that you can get out is help. I need peace. Lord, hear me. That's that's all you can get out. That's okay. But you can't but you can't stay there. But you can't stay there if you want to have God's peace. You know, what happens a lot of times is, you know, this is actually, this is, this is a symptom that people have when they experience severe anxiety and we, when we walk through seasons of worry and depression, is it's almost like we become attached to it. Like, it's almost like, like we don't want to let it go because it becomes a part of our identity, it becomes a part of who we are, while at the same time, all we want is for it to go away, right? And what happens is our mind becomes divided. Like, that's what anxiety does. It causes a division in our thoughts, a division in our, in our mind, and so, some of us will will have this division. We'll have this this problem, and maybe you don't seek the medical help you need, and you also don't seek the scriptural help you need. Do you know what the the two leading uh, forms of substance abuse after mental health disorders are? It's anxiety disorders, depression, drug abuse, and alcohol. And I don't think that's I don't think that's a coincidence. Right, Because if you're not going to go get the help you need, and you're not going to go to the scriptures for it, then you're just going to try to help yourself. Right? So instead of praying, or instead of going and seeking the help that we need, many of us, we, we may resort to unhealthy and, and sinful coping mes- mechanisms to deal with our anxiety. right? Like that, that whiskey, or that beer, or that wine, or whatever it is, because you had a long day, or because you deserve it, or because the kids are crazy, Like that's not how you fight anxiety. That's not how you fight worry. What it is is how you distract yourself from a much deeper problem that God wants to deliver you from, not temporarily, but forever. Amen. And so what you're doing is you're just distracting yourself, but it's not enough. Like all those fears, all those worries, all that trepidation, like it's still there. You're just pushing it down and down and down. And it's like looking out at like a clear, at a clear lake, Right. And everything looks fine. And then something comes along and it stirs up the water. And all the silt, all the dirt that's at the bottom starts to rise to the surface because it never went away. And so you can't just push this stuff down. You can't just look inward. You need to look upward to find a solution. But what happens is we live in this culture where everything needs to be quick. Everything needs to be easy. Everything needs to be simple. All of the solutions to to our problems, right? Like it's just who we are as a culture. And we live in a country where there's so much wealth that we can afford to do that. We can afford to do it and that's likely a part of the reason why high-income countries suffer from the most anxiety more than any other population in the world. The thing is, the truth is that some of us have a problem, a cause too deep in our souls that it's going to take more than a doctor. Amen? It's going to take the great physician. It's going to take him to come in and do something miraculous in our lives and I know this is very real for some of us. I know that some of our anxiety is deeper than just this clothes or food or food or these surface material things. That some of it goes much deeper, and I want to say this very carefully, but I want to say that all of our symptoms of anxiety stem from a deeper problem, which is sin. And so you would ask, "Well, are you saying that my anxiety is, is sin?" No, it's not what I'm saying. Is some anxiety sin? Absolutely it is. And that's why Paul commands us do not be anxious. That's why Jesus commands us do not anxious. Be anxious. Do not worry. He says it three times. Because it can lead to sinfulness, it can lead to despair. But not all anxiety is. You know, Jesus had anxiety. Think about this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is on his knees, sweating blood, asking God to remove this cup if he could. Does that sound like anxiousness? But it wasn't worry. Because what conversation was happening there? He was in prayer. He was taking it before the Lord. He wasn't worried. He was anxious, but he wasn't worried. Right? But it's not because of a sin necessarily that we've committed that causes anxiety. It's nothing like that. But rather, it's that sin is in the world at all. Like there was no anxiety in the garden before sin. There was no no anxiety in in a perfect world. And so sometimes, yeah, maybe there is sin in our life that causes anxiety. Maybe it is because of sin, ours or someone else's. That could be, but you also need to hear that your anxiety is not necessarily sin and you don't need to feel shame or guilt because you have anxiety. And I want you to know this also, that when you pray, when you bring this to the Lord, I don't want you to be surprised that when you confess your sins to him and you give your life to him and you wake up the next day and your depression's gone. Don't be surprised when that happens. Don't be surprised that when you begin to pray and worship and give thanks to God and you tell your psychiatrist that you dumped all your medication down the toilet, I slipped, I don't know what happened, I don't need it anymore. Like, don't be surprised when that, when that happens. Now, don't misunderstand me. Like, I'm not telling you to go home and do that. Don't say I'm not, I was at church, you're talking to your psychiatrist, and you know, the, he, he was actually the guest preacher, so, you know, I don't know really how you know, confident that I am in what he said, but he, he said to dump the medication down the toilet. Like, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if that's you and that happens, like, don't be surprised because God can do that. Like don't be don't be surprised because there's people here, like these testimonies that I'm telling you are from people here at Redemption Church. Like this is our church where this has happened. Amen. Right? The truth is that some of us, like, maybe we won't, maybe we won't be healed completely from anxiety or from or from depression. But that doesn't mean you don't bring it to God to have peace. That's not the answer. The answer is not to withdraw, the answer is to draw near. And I speak from this as as someone who's dealt with this. I've felt the pain of a lot of this in in my own life. You know, like earlier I mentioned about a grandfather and an uncle. Like, that was me. You know, like I did my uncle's, I officiated his wedding, or excuse me, his his funeral yesterday. I was the officiant for the funeral. You know, like I felt this, this worry and this anxiety recently with a lot of things in our family. And there was a season in my wife and I's life years ago where it felt like just every other day, Someone was committing suicide or taking their own life. You know, I I performed the funerals for one of my best friends' mother when she hung herself. Right, I was there to hold Courtney, my wife, when they found her mom in her apartment dead. Right, like I've I've seen the despair, I've seen the anxiety and the worry affect people that are so near and so close and so dear to me. So I don't want you to feel like I'm detached from this message, like this is for me just as much as it is for anybody else. But we'll close with verse seven. I know we've gone over, over our time. But the last verse says this. It says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul's not saying that prayer is gonna remove all the problems. He's not saying that prayer is gonna you know, fix everything in your life, but what he is saying is that in the midst of all these problems, whatever they may be, that you can still have the peace of God in your life. So look at what it says. It's not your peace, it's God's peace. That's why it can surpass our understanding. It's not something that we can grasp. It's not something that we can, you know, we can totally make sense of. And it's the same reason that Paul can be full of joy and gentleness while he's, while he's in prison, while he's under this threat of, of execution. You know, Paul says that God's peace is gonna do something. It's gonna make something change. It's gonna do something in our lives. And this is what he says. It's important for us to see. He says it's gonna guard your hearts and your minds. It's going to guard them. So think of a barricade, think of a wall, think of some sort of barrier that God's peace is going to come into your life and it's going to set up a wall or a barricade around your heart and around your mind to protect you, right? The two most central parts of who you are as a person, your heart, your being, the locus of who you are, the center of who you are when we look at the scriptures where all your desires come from, your being is going to be protected by God's peace. And then your mind, the place that makes all your decisions, the place that makes all your plans, this is where the fear and those harmful thoughts just seem to creep in for no apparent reason at all. God says, pray, and I will build a barrier around your mind. I will guard, I will protect your mind so those things cannot get in. He says that his his peace is gonna protect you. And then lastly, he says that it's promised to us this way, in Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace. That we have Jesus and you need to know that Jesus is so well acquainted with suffering, with anxiety, in ways so unimaginable, with the weight of the world in his shoulders that we can never understand. So he can relate to us. Like he had anxiety, but he never worried. He never sinned. But he knows your experience. He knows where you are. And that's why he can say, come to me, who, all who are weary and burdened, and I can give you rest. Just like Bo put up on the screen earlier. How he knew, I don't know. So we'll close with this. Just know that these commands from Paul, to rejoice always, to be gentle toward everyone, he's telling you these things because they're best for you, not because he's upset with you. It's not because he's angry. It's because he wants you to have peace so that you can rejoice in him, so that you can participate in his goodness, so that you can be present, so that you can say, today, this is the, this is the Lord's, right? I'm gonna rejoice As a matter of fact, I think that's what it says in the Psalms, right? We sing it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. Right? When you're not anxious, when you're not worried, when you have peace, you can do that. You can be present. You can treat others with gentleness. And here's what you do when that anxiety begins to creep in. You pray and you worship. You turn that fear, your anxiety, into a prayer request. And when we do it with praise and thanksgiving, we'll get his peace. We can't explain it, but we can experience it and it'll flow over to other people. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus.